The following program is a podcast1.com production. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website when you're looking for deals. ClarkDeals.com. Coming up in 20 minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, I have something you got to know about insuring your car. What I am going to share with you in 20 minutes is despicable, and you need to be aware of what I'm going to tell you how to protect your wallet. And coming up in a half hour, and my TV work? Well, we have just completed an experiment to deal with the most common problem people have with their cell phones. You drop it, you crack the screen, and then you're facing potentially a big expense. We put repairing your screen yourself to the test. I want to talk about people in their 30s, 40s, into their early 50s. A new report found that people generally, what you would cordon off, is Gen X, which is mid-30s to early 50s, that there's a problem with Gen Xers not taking care of their health at all, vastly different than, let's say, the baby boomers. That Okay, so think about this stat. One in three... One in three people, mid-30s to early 50s, won't go to the doctor because they're worried the doctor may find something wrong with them. Now, let me tell you why that's so crazy upside down to me. The whole idea of the doctor finding something wrong is to make it right and make you feel better or prevent something that could harm your health. And roughly half of people in this age range can't remember the last time they had what is euphemistically referred to as an annual physical, though most people don't need one every year. Every three years at a minimum, you should have a full checkup by a doctor and overwhelmingly, according to survey says, I read about in the Miami Herald, People in the age range, mid-30s to early 50s, don't have physical checkups. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Ask your parents what danger, Will Robinson, means because you're too young in that age range to know what that is. So let's talk about habits. Two out of three said they're not exercising enough. Two out of three said they're not eating right. Two out of three said their weight's not right. And two out of three said they're not handling stress right. So if you looked at it from a baseball perspective, one out of three are doing each of those four things right. This is not to give you a giant guilt trip. It's to get you thinking about what you can do to improve your own health. I want you to think this thing through. I want you to think about How do you live a better life? And it starts with taking care of yourself. One change at a time. So take any of those four, 
getting more exercise, maybe trying to eat a little better, watching your weight, dealing with your stress. By the way, you do the first, you'll deal with the fourth. You exercise more, you'll feel less stress. Promise. And then if you can't remember what decade you went to see the doctor, think about that one. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask. Kristen is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kristen. Hi there. How are you? Great. Thank you, Kristen. How can I be of service to you? Well, I was trying to find out. I'm looking for financial software just for myself to keep track of my receipts and you know things I spend. And so at tax time, I can just reference my computer and have it all organized. And I want to know what, what you think the best one might be for an individual. I have a big bias in favor of Mint. M-I-N-T. Okay. Have you ever heard of Mint? I have not. Mint.com is a, is a website that has really stood up to the test of time and has okay. become steadily more sophisticated as a money management tool, a budget tracking p- tool, and, and you can drill down and see where... Your money, you know, there's a certain amount of money for each of us that kind of evaporates. And Mint does a great job of waking us up to where that money is going and giving us a sense about how to get control back with our spending. And Mint Mint is free, by the way. I like that even better. So you can use use it on a smartphone. Okay. is a companion to what you do on a laptop or a desktop. And mm-hmm. it is an extraordinarily capable money management tool. And then I could use that at the end of the year when I'm doing my taxes and itemizing. Yes, it would, everything in C. it would help you with tracking your expenses for tax purposes, too. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you very much. That's what I was looking for. I hope you enjoy using Mint because I never get complaints about it. Oh, good. Well, I'll let you know after I start using it. I'll email in. Okay? Okay. Thank you. And Jason is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jason. Hey, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Jason. How can I be of service? Uh, I had uh, sort of a series of questions about uh, life insurance. I know uh, you're a fan uh, and proponent of level term insurance. So I was planning on getting uh, 30-year level term insurance. Uh, my wife and I have two kids, but I was kind of wondering if there was a certain age that was the best time, like if you're at 30 years old or 33, like I am now, or 35, and then I wanted to know... No, I mean, this is going to sound like I'm a smart aleck, but when you need it is when you buy term insurance, and if you have two young kids, you need it. Oh, yes. Uh, right now, we have a uh, variable term. Um, oh, floating rate? No, you know, I love the level term because... Over the years, you've noticed that your premiums step up a little bit each year as your mortality risk, in other words, the chance you're going to die and your survivors are going to get the money, goes up a little each year. And so the uh, annual renewable term, what you're in right now is what they technically call it, is cheaper at this point than what it would cost you initially for the level term. Yeah. But what happens pretty quickly with the level term is that the two lines intersect, 
and then for all the remaining years of the level term, because you're paying a flat rate premium, you're paying less in the level term than you would be as the premiums start to escalate pretty heavily as you move into your 50s and beyond. Yeah, so is there a certain point where where those lines intersect that that you recommend to to switch over? So you're 33. Your kids are how old? Um, A newborn and two years old. Well, congratulations to you. Oh, thank you very much. But wait, wait, wait. You have two in diapers at the same time? Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, that would drive me crazy. All right. So so if you buy 30-year level term, you're going to serve two purposes. One is that you'll cover almost the remaining cycle of your key working years. So it'll take you to 63. And you'll cover your kids well into adulthood. Now, there is an alternative strategy that a lot of financial types would recommend, and it adds another layer of complexity, but that you would buy a 20-year level term policy and a 30-year level term policy. That the idea is that the 30-year level term policy is to provide for your wife, and she would have one in turn to provide for you. The 20-year level term is specifically to provide for the needs of minor children till they're young adults. Okay, and so both my wife and I would... would yeah, so you'd end up with four policies instead four of two. Policies. And do you, do you increase the amount that you have covered with, like as you age and get raises and whatnot? Well, that's a great question. The reason I tend to recommend if somebody's buying a 30-year level term that you buy a minimum 10 times your annual income is to cover some of that contingency over the years that your income will be rising. But at the other hand, on the other hand, if you were to pass away 20 years from now, the period of time that you need money to cover for your wife or in turn she needs to cover for you is not as many years. So that's why 30 years, 10 times income is a a pretty decent back-of-the-envelope way to choose how much to buy. And it would be based off of, like, my my wife, just based off her salary, she gets her own policy that's a minimum of 10 times hers, and then I do 10 times of my own salary. Yes, and the exception would be if either of you are early in a career that has a rapidly escalating paycheck, if you're lucky enough to have that. (laughs) I wish. Okay, so if that's not the case for either of you, you're talking about normal inflation carrying wages up, then 10 times is a good round number to draw on. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. Okay, and congratulations on your newborn. Oh, thanks a lot, Clark. You have a good day. Thanks, and in a few months, you'll get some sleep. Holly's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Holly. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, you're going to Hawaii. We are in May. That's great. How can I help? Well, we have never rented a car before, so this is all new to us, and we are Costco members and thought we would try their rental cars. Um, And it is so much cheaper than booking directly with other lines to rent cars. Um, And is there a catch with that, or is that... None at all. It's just because Costco has 60 million members, one in roughly every four adults in the United States is a Costco member, So when they reach a volume deal with a travel supplier, they get big cuts. And because Costco caps 
how much money they can make from anything they sell, they end up essentially rebating a big part of the savings on the car rental back to you as the member. Okay. And so that's why the rates are significantly lower than you're finding elsewhere. But the Costco booking, if I remember, if you book a car through them, it is a reservation. You don't have to pay for it till you get to the car rental counter in Hawaii. Is that right? That's what it appears. Okay. So what you do, go ahead and book the car rental at the Costco rate. And then on your calendar, remember, seven days before you go to Hawaii, okay. reshop your car rental. Okay. Because particularly with leisure destinations, car rental rates are posted very high far in advance. And then if they're not going to sell out close to travel time, the rates come down a lot. So you already know the most you'll pay is what you've reserved through the Costco program. And then if you reshop a week before you go to Hawaii, if you get a much better deal, then great. So you, you know what you are going to pay. From that point, the only surprise is paying less money. You've never rented a car before. Call your own automobile insurer and make sure you have coverage for temporary use of a rental car so you can avoid all the junk fees they'll try to pass on you at the car rental counter. And boy, do I love Hawaii. It's time for today's Clark Rageous Moment. That's where you're brought up to date on stuff you need to know to protect your wallet. Today's Clark Rage involves you being on the road. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous Moment. A shocking investigation was completed by the Consumer Federation of America that found that a number of auto insurers are playing really, really dirty pool with their customers. So if you're in an auto accident, it's not your fault. Let's say you're just sitting there minding your own business at a red light and somebody runs in the back of your vehicle. That is an accident that you were not at fault. You were sitting still doing exactly what you were supposed to do. Somebody ran into the back of you. Well, there are now a number of insurers that are using not-at-fault accidents as a way to raise your rates. According to the Consumer Federation of America, Progressive, come on, Flo, Progressive is using the not-at-fault penalty most aggressively. In addition, Geico and Farmers are raising rates as much as 10% or more, when you're at a not-at-fault accident. A number of other insurers do what they should be doing, and that is they don't put you in a penalty box when you're just minding your own business and somebody runs into you. It is wrong in every possible way for an insurer to behave badly and penalize you when you have done nothing wrong and you get hit. It is completely Clark-rageous that insurers would use that as a way to take advantage of you where you've already, there's nobody who's ever in an accident that wasn't your fault, that you don't suffer some harm. Let's forgetting if you were hurt physically. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your wallet because you have the disruption of getting your vehicle repaired And seldom are you truly made whole 
following an accident that was somebody else's fault. And then on top of that, to rip you off on premiums is beyond ridiculous. What I want you to know is how important it is for you when you are coming up on renewal for auto insurance to shop your insurance. To shop your insurance. Because absolutely, positively, an insurer that would punish you for an accident that wasn't your fault and hit you up in the wallet, what are they going to do to you when something is your fault? Be smart about this. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. And so I ask you this. Have you ever broken the screen on your cell phone? It is so common that people break their screens. My wife uh, was riding an escalator, and her phone slipped out of her hand, had a case on it, but it was just a cutesy-cutesy case, not a really protective case. More about that later. And it falls about 18 inches and cracks the screen. And so then she takes her phone to the Apple store because she has an iPhone something something. And it was a hundred, so 150, I think, to get a new screen put on it. I mean, gosh, you can buy a great Android for 150 brand new. But anyway, that's what it costs to repair the screen. And so then the phone was nearly good as new, but wound to the wallet. And people break their phones all the time. iPhone, Samsung, any brand. So we did an experiment. We bought a self-repair kit online to do our own screen repair. And we had many people try it. And Joel, you were part of that. I was one of them that sat down for a few minutes to try. And what did you discover about trying to repair your own screen on a broken phone? See, in my opinion, I I think the tools that we got were a little inadequate 
but that might not be the case because someone after me was able to fix it with those tools. But there were three of us that tried with the tools that um, that came in the re- repair kit, and they, they just weren't good enough. I think in particular, there's like a suction cup that you put on the screen to kind of try to, yeah. to, to get the separation, and it was just kept pulling off. Like it wouldn't actually pull the screen off, and so that was a, a big pain. But uh, a younger millennial than I was able, finally, to get the screen repaired. Wait, wait. You're starting to tell me there's a generation gap between you and people coming behind you? Oh, there definitely is. Oh, yeah. Old millennials and young millennials, there's a big gap there. (laughs) You're now an old millennial. (laughs) Exactly. You know, they used to say, don't trust anyone over 30. Now it's don't trust an older millennial or a younger one. So, anyway, we... We have very funny video. We should pop that on Clark.com at some point. Uh, one person after another trying to repair using this repair kit. And it took, it was almost like a lifeline on, uh, what was that? Who wants to be a millionaire or yeah. whatever? You know, that someone was able to take it and finish the job that everybody else had failed. The repair kits are very inexpensive on eBay. Uh, you know, they cost like fifteen, twenty dollars for a repair kit. But getting it done is we discovered in our test is very, very hard. And that's why there are all these stores all over the place that do the screen repair. Now, a couple of things about that. First, it is possible to build a phone that is not going to break. Now, that's not in the interest of the cell phone industry for the most part because they want to sell more units. And quite often when somebody breaks their screen, even if they repair it, they never feel the same about their phone again and they go and they quote-unquote upgrade to a newer model. But the ultimate, because the manufacturers generally, there are the phones that are military-grade that you can buy now, But for the most part, the phones are pretty fragile. It goes back to my wife's story of dropping the iPhone on the escalator 18 inches and having the thing shatter. It's all about the case you put on it. The cases you can put on phones range from ones that are very homely, unattractive like I have, to ones that are very cutesy-artsy. And I would much rather have ugly, unattractive, homely-looking in order to protect the phone. Now, I want to share with you, last night, I was at the mailbox, and I was talking to my wife on the phone, the same person whose iPhone dropped and broke, and I'm reaching in, I have the phone against my ear, I'm reaching in, trying to get the mail We have a locking mailbox. I'm having to close it back and lock it while I'm holding the mail. Not coordinated enough. I drop the phone. It falls almost six feet to the pavement. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Now I've destroyed my phone. But no, my homely, unattractive case preserved the phone. And there's not a scratch on it. And so the answer is... Make your beautiful phone unattractive in a case and make your wallet feel more attractive because you're not going to break your screen if you get a really rock-solid 
case on it. Christine is with us on the Clark Howard Show. You're calling about something that's no fool and serious stuff to me, aren't you? I am. What's going on, Christine? Um, about a week ago, my niece, who lives in Alabama, I live in another state, um, her husband, due to an unfortunate situation, was incarcerated. And I think um, all situations where you end up incarcerated <laughs> are unfortunate, right? Oh, sure. Um, in trying to help her, since he's their breadwinner, they're a young family with a baby. Oh. Um, they've now lost their income, so money's tight. So I'm trying to help her. And How long is he going to be in jail or in prison? They they don't know yet. It's still in the early stages of trying to figure everything out. Okay. Um, but what I'm running into with her is the days of going to the jail to visit the inmate are over. Everything is electronic now, and for her to arrange a visit or to make a phone call, she has to go to a website and deposit yep. funds yep. Into, into an inmate account. It is one of the most idiotic things that prison systems do in the United States is break down all communication between a prisoner and his or her family because they make it cost prohibitive for family members, for loved ones, to stay in touch with a prisoner because they've decided this is a um, profit center for prisons to charge massive, massive rates for a phone call or anything like that with a family member with a prisoner. And so the prisoners end up abandoned they feel abandoned. They feel alone. And that's, that's her exactly situation, what, isn't it? Right. And that's exactly what we're finding out. Um, the charges, and I'm helping her um, since they're financially strapped, but to put any amount on this inmate card, they charge these exorbitant fees. Right. It, it's totally corrupt. I mean, I, I'm I'm very, very familiar with this because it's been something I've been upset about for, gosh, 10, 15 years when I – must be 15 years ago I first heard about it. And there have been reform movements in various spots around the country to eliminate this practice because we don't want people to commit more crimes. We want them to do the time and move on with their lives. But when we break down – communication with their loved ones and they feel alone and and their family becomes uh, their virtual family becomes the people behind bars and when they get out who do they go hang out with but people that they serve time with instead of going back to the family because that broke down it's just lame and stupid do you know that you she can't even go to the prison to see him she goes to the prison and goes to a kiosk, and there he is on a video screen. Well, they've been doing that. Uh, I'll tell you what that's been about. Uh, With cutbacks in prison staffing and jail staffing, they haven't had at a lot of facilities enough staff to do the proper inspection of visitors to make sure they're not bringing in contraband, drugs, cell phones, anything like that. So they are now physically keeping family visitors away from the prisoners and you only see them on a screen at a lot of prisons so they can reduce headcount of staffing 
Well, I, I understand that's the way that is, but what to do about these exorbitant costs? Well, I mean, what people have been doing is, is um, family groups of prisoners have been forming because this is not – see, the, the thing that's not being told is it's not the prisoner who's having to pay a huge amount per minute to make a phone call, like uh, more than any long-distance call anywhere in the world pretty much. It is the families of a prisoner that end up being financially penalized. The prisoner's already locked up doing his or her time. And so punishing the families is is ridiculous. And Do you, do you know, Clark, I'll give you an example. Um, and on their website, you can't get fees. You can't get prices on anything. You have to go through their no service customer service and threaten a supervisor before you get information well that's because nobody wants the real numbers out there about how much prisoners families are being ripped off you know the the people running the prison systems just want to score money these operators come in and say let me tell you the deal if you sign with us we're going to give you millions of dollars that will go into the state fund and then the the prison administrators look the other way knowing that the families are getting ripped off but they don't really want to know and so it is it is a system that is broken so you want to do something about it the key is to go online find others that are trying to fight these exorbitant charges and i would say to any elected official any administrator of any prison system what are we really trying to do here? If we're trying to reduce recidivism, the number of people who commit more crimes, the number of people at great cost to the citizens of a state end up locked up again, we will not rip off the families that would like to stay in touch and communicate with those prisoners. It is something that you can tell means so much to me because we should be about first punishment and then rehabilitation right now in so much of this country we're only about the punishment part and we don't do things after we've administered punishment to turn people's lives around so they can become citizens that we're not going to be afraid of and people that can contribute to society so I'm with you, Christine, as you hear on this completely. Go out and get organized because a lot of noise is how change is going to take place. Is it Lewis or Luis is with us? Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Are you Lewis uh, or Luis? It's Luis. Yes, sir. Luis, welcome to the Clark Howard Show. How Thank can I serve much. you? Uh, I am uh, interested in purchasing a high-end bicycle from a... Uh, shop, if you will, a vendor that is overseas in Asia. Uh, what protections do I have? I, I, my concerns are more towards uh, receiving counterfeit product or product that may be damaged in shipment. Now, with the second item, the vendor claims that uh, the part of the shipping charge is uh, does include insurance, and I've uh, verified with the uh, uh, shipping company the duties and charges that I will be assessed. How much do you cheaper. save by buying it? direct from a manufacturer or distributor in Asia versus just buying the 
bike from somebody in the United States? This particular bike, uh, uh, would it's about a 60% discount. Wow, that's huge. It. How much it is, is the bike? Uh, in the U.S., it would be near 7000 U.S. What? Are you like a professional racer? Uh, I am uh, formally of that category, yes, sir. Wow. So, so even with my connections now and the quote-unquote pro, pro deals that we receive, I can still buy it cheaper via this discount or this vendor, which causes me some pause. Uh, and maybe there's yeah, so you'd be buying it for twenty eight hundred instead of seven thousand all in. Is that the deal? Roughly, yes. You you need to understand you can't pay with a credit card and expect to get protected. You can't send a wire. This would be a purchase based on trust. Okay. And you'd have to know that that this is like the big roll of the dice in the casino, because twenty eight hundred may bring you a bike that's exactly as promised, but if it is a counterfeit, there, you have no recourse at all. Okay. Or if they don't I, send, if they actually never send one, right. you have no recourse. Uh, so essentially my money is on the line with the credit card company because it's an international transaction? Right, or? right. Only, you're only protected under the rules that administer credit cards, regulations, for domestic transactions. Understood. So when the money leaves our shores, it is totally a matter of trust. Okay. And I can't even say a handshake because you're not shaking hands with the people. In yeah, Asia. And that's certainly concerning. If it were fifty dollars, it may be worth rolling the dice. But uh, uh, when you're talking thousands, that's uh, yeah. You know, I have I have what I call my threshold of pain on eBay, which is two hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> my threshold is not twenty eight hundred. No, but no, the pain I, I, I would yeah. really feel is if I got the bike and it was exactly as they said, I had to ride it like you do, as far as you do, and as fast as you do. That I couldn't ever do. So I'm very impressed with your level of ability and talent. You know, you got a question for me. You can post it to an Ask Clark on Clark.com, and then we take them right here on the air. And Joel, who's the first Ask Clark you got? Clark Glenn wrote, and he says, I'm thinking about refinancing. What do I need to look out for? Well, with refis, the number one thing you need to do is most people call one source, one lender, one person, and they think they're done. The more you shop, especially for a refi online and with people, with a mortgage uh, banker, with a credit union, the more you do that, the better you're going to do because you don't just look at the interest rate, the headline rate that'll be determined by your credit standing, but there's also a big variation depending on what lender, but a rate alone doesn't tell you enough. You need to know what it's going to cost you to make that loan happen. What kind of closing costs are you going to have? Are you going to be charged any junk fees called points where they charge you a percent of the amount of money you're borrowing? And in addition, if you're doing a refi, more and more people are doing no or low closing cost refis, where in return for taking a higher than market interest rate, you pay no or low closing costs. I've got a guide that'll walk you through this at Clark.com. You know, if you're looking to buy paper towels or a can of beans, knowing what other people paid for them isn't really that important. Paper towels, it's beans. But for a big purchase, like a car... That kind of information isn't just helpful, it's essential. Well, with TrueCar, you can do just that. You see, TrueCar lets you see what other people in your area paid for the car that you're looking to buy. 
which will help you determine a fair price. And the best part? You can work directly with a True Car certified dealer to establish a fair price before you even show up on the lot. Yeah, that's right. True Car certified dealers have all the same information you do and are just there to help you get the car you want while offering you a faster, easier buying experience. Who doesn't want that? And knowing what others have paid has helped True Car users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy that car, there's only one place to go. Visit TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. You can get it at TrueCar.com or the super easy to use TrueCar app. Some features not available in all states. So glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ideas that will help you save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in just a half hour, I have awesome news for you on the housing cost front. That's right. I think you're going to like what I have to say in just 30 minutes. Clark.com is where we serve you on the web. And you have a question for me? Clark.com slash ask. I've talked a few times about the various neat things that Amazon can do with the Echo. Alexa, do this. Alexa, do that. Um, The Google device that... I need to tell you, the Alexa, the Amazon Echo, is now unplugged at our house. Nobody was using it. Everybody uses the Google Home, which I found especially interesting because everybody in the house but me is Apple, 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 Apple. But they're all addicted to the Google Home. But whether you like the Amazon device or the Google Home or others still to be introduced, the capabilities each of them have get better and better and better. Yeah, we've talked about things that I'm not sure are progress, like how easy both of them make it for you to buy stuff just on a whim. And the information available, extraordinary. It's just incredible how sophisticated they are and become steadily more so over time. And now MarketWatch reports that both are racing to offer home phone service that the number of people who have home phone service traditional from the Monopoly local phone company is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, and more and more people are cell phone only. But cell phones are not always the most reliable, and there are times you think about where do people most often have a Google Home or an Amazon Echo? In the kitchen. So just picture this scenario. I only know how to eat food, but many people cook food, prepare recipes and all that, or uh, make, you know, make a meal from scratch. And there are constantly situations you want to talk to somebody, take a call from somebody. With the fidelity, with the sound quality of Google Home and Amazon Echo, and the ability for you to use them as telephones, It's a perfect speakerphone kind of situation because somebody can hear you and you can hear them from across the room. If you ever worked at a company in their conference room, they have those very, very expensive, funny-shaped conference phone calling systems where people from across the room can talk and the people at the other end can hear them. Well, now, instead of having to have a really expensive device like that, the Google Home and the Amazon product, the Echo, 
both are going to make that very possible for you. Now, the techies believe that Google is going to tie it in with Google Voice, but who knows? It could tie in with Android. Who knows what the idea will be? But for you, the ability to use even uh, existing Internet protocol apps, IP phone apps, is almost certainly going to be part of the equation for both of them. And so there are times that having that kitchen phone, man, that's going to be great. If you're not familiar with these devices, you pay depending on when you buy them, where you buy them, typically 129 to 149 And these things become, especially the Google with its deep, deep data dive, become steadily more sophisticated at being an electronic assistant to you, and it learns and it remembers. Matt is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matt. How are you today? Not too bad, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my call, sir. It's great to have you here. How can I serve you? Well, Clark, uh, I've got a mortgage, and I'm just trying to pay it down as quickly as I possibly can. I've been able to put put down like an extra $400 a month just to try to pay this thing down. Um, a friend of mine approached me with a, a program where you would use a, a HELOC to pay all your bills through the HELOC, and as long as the, the account has money in it, that it's being applied towards your loan, kind of like a sweep account like these big corporations do. And uh, I didn't know... Did you hear that explosion? explosion? Y- yes, I think I did. All right, well, let me play something else for you. How about this? So this is an idea that was popular at one time in Australia. Uh And the idea was that you wipe out your existing mortgage by transferring it to a floating rate version of a home equity line of credit Mm -hmm. or something that's kind of like a home equity line of credit. And all your money goes into this account. Every check you get, everything. And the idea is that instead of a mortgage being computed on a traditional amortization schedule where you have a set amount of payment with a set amount of interest being charged each month, blah, 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 that instead what you do is you have a daily calculation of interest at a potentially, well, what is a floating rate of interest. And the design of it is that, and the promise is that you'll get out of mortgage debt in a tiny fraction of the time you would with a traditional mortgage. Mm-hmm. How am I doing? Very good. Okay. So the reason that you heard bombs going off in air is that in a time with the lowest fixed rate mortgages just about ever, ever in American history, you don't want to give up a fixed rate certainty that you can have in place for years to come with a floating rate that when the Federal Reserve decides it's time to bump those interest rates up, that suddenly your floating rate floats up and up and up. It's not going to go lower than it is here. It's only going to go up. But then there's this other issue. Should you have getting rid of mortgage debt be a more important principle in your life and goal in your life than any other possibility? And I say no. What is your current fixed mortgage interest rate? 
Uh, right now, Clark is at four point three seven five. Okay. And how how many years do you have left on it? Um, well, if I keep making the uh, the actual principal payments, I should be done in seventeen years. It was originally a thirty year mortgage that we took on uh, on the uh, two thousand eleven. And are you going to stay in this house for years and years to come? Yes. Then I have an alternate suggestion. Mm-hmm. I would encourage you to refinance your existing mortgage into a new 15-year loan. Mm-hmm. 15-year loans are carrying a substantially lower interest rate right now than 30 years, a spread mm-hmm. beyond what has historically been the case. And so you would be in a position to step your interest rate down from just a hair around or under 4% down to right around 3% or a little below, if you have good credit. So that would be a better use because you'd automatically put yourself in a 15-year lockstep to be mortgage debt-free at mm-hmm. a, instead of at 4.375 let's say you end up at three just for argument's sake you'll mm-hmm. be at a much lower effective interest rate you'll be doing what you want to do which is steadily extinguishing debt but even when you have the the debt the interest carry of it is almost zip yeah so I that would be I, a better strategy because there are there are very rare moments in life that an idea like you've been pitched is as bad as it could be for the conditions that exist today. Even though it, short, it shortens the length of the Don't term. Don't believe any of that. No. <laughs> because okay. it takes you away from what should be a real priority. If you do that refi into the 15-year fixed, you get down to around 3%. You mm-hmm. free up money. You cut years off your loan. Don't need to prepay. You wouldn't even think about prepaying anymore. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to because the rate I wouldn't. I wouldn't there. bother. Because you're going to be at such a good deal. And instead, take money that you might have put towards prepaying on the mortgage and use it to build up a retirement account for yourself. Are you saving money for retirement right now? Honestly, Clark, I, I just wanted to get out of debt. I mean, uh, Let go with that. Let go with that. That's a psychological thing and not the highest possible priority. So doing fixed rate mortgage, refining that, Saving money in like a Roth IRA where you're having money grow tax-free, that you spend tax-free, that's what I'd love for you to be doing. Nancy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly, Nancy. You are looking after your parents, and you got a quite a job on your hands, don't you? Well, a little bit of one and uh, something I, I think that maybe you could enlighten me on. Let's see. Okay. Um, my parents are in their, both in their 80s, and they have no insurance and no savings, and I'm very worried about how they will pay for burial costs. Oh, oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you, Clark. Oh. Wow. Okay. So they don't have two nickels to rub together. No, sir. They, they really don't. Was either a veteran? Yes, my dad is a veteran. All right, so he'll be able to get that benefit through the Veterans Department, Veterans Administration. Mm-hmm. For your mom, um, is there a family burial plot, or what's the deal in your family? Where have people traditionally been buried? 
there are really no plans whatsoever. Okay. Uh, none at all. Okay. And so, do you have any siblings? I do. And have, have you had my favorite thing for siblings to do is to have a family conference to talk about uh-huh. this stuff? Uh-huh. Have you ever done that? Well, <clears throat> I have done that with, you know, uh, part of my family. Uh, probably not all the siblings together. Okay. Uh, gosh, how many of you are there? Uh, all together, five. Okay, well, I don't know if you've ever heard me say uh, an expression that my late father used to say, that one parent can take care of ten children, but ten children can't take care of one parent. (laughs) But the five of you, I think people need to be made accountable, because you're talking about one particular thing that Mm -hmm. may come up with your parents, and if they don't have any money, and you're worried about how are they going to have a decent burial, Mm-hmm. I think I think the conversations may need to be wider among the five of you. What each of you, based on uh, your own interests and abilities and wallet size, are going to do for your parents. Right. And I I've found that to be a very effective strategy for families over the years. Is to uh, maybe you're the facilitator. Maybe you get the conference calls together. And the five of you get on the phone together. You know, get everybody on the phone together. It becomes a little tougher for people to move away and say, well, I'm busy with my own life. I can't do anything for mom and dad. They, they weren't ever good to me anyway. I'm not going to help them. You know, that kind of stuff. I don't know. If, is there any of that with the five of you? I'm, I'm sorry? Is there any of that with the five of you that somebody's going to say, well, I'm not going to help them because? Uh, probably so. Oh, probably boy. so. Not for that reason, but just, you know, uh, yeah, I my job does you know I, I won't have enough income to help with that that sort of thing. Well, <laughs> the the five kids that's why you get them on the phone calls, and I would mm-hmm. say you need to start one, and then if the call goes uh, relatively well, every couple of months, maybe every three months, and you go ahead and set the date of the next phone call where the five of you are going to talk about what you're going to do about mom and dad's needs. Okay. Because the kids need to be accountable and responsible. I agree with that. So I need you to play that responsibility card and guilt card, not by wagging your finger at them, at your four siblings, but getting all of you together and say, here's the things I'm worried about with mom and dad. How should we handle this? So you don't say... I think we should do this. You say, here's the problem. What do each of you think? Right. And see what you can accomplish among the five of you and and give people assignments based on what they feel the most comfortable doing in terms of being help to your parents. Because you're talking about the last minute of life and beyond. I think you got to also be discussing among yourselves what happens now till that last minute you're a good daughter you know you got a question for me you can post it to an ask clark on clark.com and then we take them right here on the air and joel who's the first ask clark you got clark this one's from david he wants to know when paying off a collection agency what can i do to assure that the mark will be taken off my credit report that is a great question never ever ever not ever pay off a collection to any collection agency 
till you have in writing from that collection agency that payment of whatever amount you agreed to is payment in full. It should also reflect what they will do with that item on your credit report. It can You can have an agreement where an item is removed in its entirety from your credit report as a collection. That is something you'd have to really fight for. But what you need to make sure you have is where the item shows that it has been paid and has a zero balance after you have paid the money agreed to. But never, ever, not ever, under any circumstances, give a collection agency money without a written agreement of what that money represents. Clark Peter says, I've got a Roth account with an insurance company. I put my money into a Vanguard Target Retirement Fund. I contribute money every two weeks and I have to pay a transaction fee each time. Should I go directly to Vanguard instead? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. Never, ever, ever do investing in Vanguard funds for a retirement account or an investment account where the money goes from another organization. With Vanguard, Vanguard's a co-op owned by its account holders. You want to have your Roth with Vanguard and the money invested in Vanguard funds. It'll end up with you having a whole lot more money in retirement than the way you're doing things right now through an insurance company. So far in 2017, Forbes and Podcast One have already launched three highly acclaimed shows. The interview with Steve Bertoni features the business world's most interesting names, like Adam Carolla, Twitter founder Sean Rad, and Hollywood's own Jessica Alba. So I spent a lot of my childhood in hospital and hospital beds. Under 30 with Steve Goldblum talks to the movers and shakers, like Nation Builder CEO Jim Gilliam and NFL big game winner Martellus Bennett. Guys are afraid to be themselves because of their marketing deals. And the list with Art of Charms, Jordan Harbinger. We'll get behind-the-scenes insight and information that doesn't make the print cut next up sports money with mike ozanian talking to team owners athletes and industry leaders about the enterprise and money behind supreme athletic competition forbes on podcast one not just entertaining informative subscribe now at itunes and don't forget to rate review and share stay tuned for 60 seconds of ap news headlines right after this podcast What comes up must come down. We're going to talk about the cost of housing straight ahead. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and stretching that dollar. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. You want bargains to stretch that dollar? Check out ClarkDeals.com. And Clark.com is where you find me on the web. The apartment market has been brutal. For people is the number of people who own their own home has actually shrunk as a percent of the U.S. adult population. People have found themselves renting more and more. A lot of people who during the Great Recession may have moved in with family, even in the initial phase of recovery, have been out and about establishing their own households, but very heavily renting instead of buying. So rent increases have been just horrendous for people for a number of years, generally running at roughly three times the general rate of inflation. And that was then, that's over almost everywhere in America. Because what happens with an economic sweep like that is people want to make money, say, hey, 
Apartments are paved with gold. And all over America, way, way, way too many apartments were built. And so what's known as the absorption rate keeps going down. That's as they build new apartments, what are the odds they get them filled? And apartments that were built last year, a huge number of those apartments have been sitting empty. And they're offering more and more months of free rent and all kinds of incentives to get people into those apartments. Now, the result of this is that we're going to have a decline in how many apartments are being built. Some places in the country, construction of apartments will really slow to a crawl or nothing. But right now, with supply having caught up with the demand for apartment rentals, and recently, big uptick in the number of people buying homes, the net effect is that if you are a renter and you're just comfortable where you are and they send you your new renewal notice and it's got another bump up in rent or whatever, don't take it like a sitting duck. Get out there and shop the market. And if you can convince yourself that you would consider moving if there's a good enough deal elsewhere, that's how you get the best deal. So I know it's low tech, but as you drive around and you see new apartments or you see signs saying free rent and all that, pull over the side of the road, don't do it while you're driving. And right there on your smartphone, pull up that apartment complex and see what kind of deals you can make. And remember this, the apartment operators today, I don't know if it's the overwhelming majority of apartments, it's not all of them, but a giant percent of apartments now are using dynamic demand pricing. So believe it or not, you could look at the pricing on the way to work, and on the way home from work, the pricing could be higher or lower. And the next day, the prices could be different again, and on like that. So being active in looking for a place is so important. And with the place you're at, you want to look, what are they offering potential new tenants? And you might find that they are being disloyal to you for having been loyal to them, offering a much better deal to a prospective tenant than they offer to you as an existing one renewing. And so what I'd say is you survey the market, and even if you prefer to stay where you are, you go to your landlord and you say, hey, I've found all these great deals around here, and I'd really prefer to stay here, but these deals are so great. And then I see you're offering people this deal. What about me? Now remember, the best deals will go to those that are willing to walk and go somewhere else. But let me tell you, in so much of the country, landlords are desperate because of the decline in this thing called the absorption rate, meaning that in some of the biggest markets in the country, thousands and thousands and thousands of apartments are sitting empty, begging even for their first tenant as new construction. Patrick is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Clark. 
So, Patrick, you have a question for me that mirrors almost exactly what one of my nephews was asking me this past weekend. Tell me the dilemma you face. Well, um, I uh, have a higher tier um, auto insurance, and when I uh, checked around, there was a lower tier one that was uh, offering me a lot more benefits. Um, It would be a savings of about $100 per six months if I went with the lower tier company. You said a hundred per six months. Uh, yes, um, they would offer services that right now, such as towing, which I have with a third party because my current insurance, I don't have towing with them, um, and the deductibles. It just it feel it's almost a too good to be true scenario. Well, in the case of my nephew, the savings were even higher than that, and so I said, well, you know. The insurer that you're with gets the highest rating, or just about the highest from Consumer Reports, and the one you're thinking of going with gets one of their very lowest ratings for customer service and customer satisfaction. And so you would be facing the same thing. I see the two companies you're considering, and you would be making as stark a choice as my nephew was facing. And he asked me as my nephew, so I could tell him, don't make the change. In your case, you're not my blood relative, so I can only give you guidance, and you'll have to make a decision. So you have to weigh the benefit and and dollars up front versus what happens in the event that you have an accident or a claim of some kind. The problem with the lower-rated auto insurers is that if you have a claim, and by the way, this would also apply to homeowners, if you have a claim and you're with a lower-rated insurer that treats you as the enemy when you have a claim, the money that you saved over the years, in your case a couple hundred dollars a year, ends up being a false benefit. And so you have to think through why do you have insurance in the first place? Yes. So if let me ask you the question this way. So you save a couple hundred a year. If you had a, a major issue with a major accident, and because you're dealing with an insurer that's not that great, you end up with thousands of dollars out of pocket that you might not have had being with a good insurer, are you going to be able to absorb that few thousand dollars, or would that be a real burden for you? Yeah, I, I it would be a, a real burden if I, uh, if I had to deal with that situation. Then I would encourage you to stay with the higher-rated insurer. And, you know, here I am, cheap guy. And I think you're better off paying more for the insurance to get a real quality company instead of a company that isn't there for you when the chips are down. Oh, um, could I ask a, a question uh, with respect to the reviews? Sure. Um, on the consumer reports, all of the uh, legitimate articles, it has my insurance, you know, uh, if not the best, second to the best. But then when I look at the, like I think, uh, consumer affairs, uh, they say they're unaccredited, but a lot a lot more people are complaining about my insurance um, 
They were still complaining about the lower tier ones. Well, the, as well. the reason is if you're looking at a, a blog type site where people file complaints, yes. your insurer is so giant versus the market share of the one that you're considering going to that you'd have to look at ratios of complaints per numbers of insured. And that would really change how that would look. Oh, that, that makes more sense. So, I mean, you know, it's your money, and you can make the call that you wish to make. But I'll tell you, when the dollars are in $100 every six months might not seem close, but the overall scheme of things, that is pretty close. I think that in that case, if it were my money, I would pay more and go with the much higher quality insurer. But you got to make your own call. Carl is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Carl. Hey, how are you? Great, thank you, Carl. You have a thought about how to protect computers from ransomware. Is that right? Well, uh, just, just maybe. I don't know. Tell me your thoughts, if you could. Okay, I was thinking if we just the flash drives are next to free now, I don't know why you just couldn't copy your file onto a flash drive and plug in the flash drive and work do all your work on the flash drive. And then when you get all done, unplug the flash drive. And then if there's a... Uh, what was that thing of the ransomware or something like that? It takes over your computer. You've got your files on the flash drive, and you buy a new computer or hopefully have a restore disk and restore your existing computer. I don't know if you do that or not. Well, let me set some background for your fellow listener, and that's that's really a great suggestion. The What happens is that we can get viruses on our computers that can come from a joke someone sent us or we mistype an address, what they call fat finger typing, and a virus loads on our computer. And then uh, the the bad people behind those viruses may, in fact, ransom our computer. They'll lock it down, and they'll say they'll only give it back to us, and we'll only have access to our files again if we pay them the ransom. It may be $200, $500, usually in that general range. And so the idea you're bringing is that if you stored your key files on a flash drive, Uh, Another suggestion people give is on an external hard drive that you'll have your data. Now, the thing that is uncertain, though, is would that data also have the virus that has passed along with it as you back up your data on a flash drive or an external drive? At least you'll still have your data, but I don't know that you'll be virus-free with that. So it it is a good first step, but it's not... It will not provide you 100% protection because the virus may migrate to the flash or to the external drive. Okay. Well, one more one more quick question now. Uh, do you have any idea how long a flash drive is supposed to last? Gosh, I have. You mean for one of those USBs? Yeah. I've never had one croak on me. So yeah. that's, that's very unscientific, isn't it? I don't know the answer to how long, how durable they are. Because I do a lot of backup copies, and I, I just buy a new a new USB drive like every year or so, and if, if I got five or ten of them, then I'm rotating around on the uh, on the backups. So well, well Carl, though, the, the idea you bring forward is so interesting. I'm hoping someone who is an expert in computer security will call up and talk about their antidote for dealing with the ransomware. Because it's a nasty, nasty thing. If suddenly you have no access to any of the information on your computer. I appreciate your call. Hannah's with us on the Clark Howard Show. 
Hannah, you are a teenager. Yes. And you're already wondering how you're going to save for retirement? Yes. My parents brought it up to me last night, and uh, it's a good point. It got me thinking, so. <laughs> wow. And so are you in school now? Are you working? What's your deal? I am in my sophomore year of college, and I work part-time. And with the money that you're making working part-time, do you get to keep any of that, or do you blow through that just to pay for living expenses and costs associated with being a sophomore in college? I live at home, so I get to save my money. Okay. Well, then you have a unique opportunity, because your parents are helping you with your college costs, so this is... Yes. This is money you can hold on to. Yes. So at, at 19, you can take that money up to, uh, how much are you earning a year working part-time? Uh, I make about 500 a month. So six grand a six year. Thousand. Yes. All right. So you can, you're allowed under the law to put aside up to $5,500 into a tax-free account that you may have heard your parents mention, or, or if you listen to me, you may have heard me talk about something called a Roth IRA. Yes. So if you, at 19, put money into a Roth IRA, you can figure that money is going to double again and again and again to the point that every dollar you put aside now may end up being roughly $10 by the time decades from now you'd be looking at retiring. And the neat thing is the money is yours tax-free. So it's a... It's a wonderful thing for you to do, and you generally to open up one of the good low cost Roth accounts, you need a minimum thousand dollars. Okay. So as soon as you have a thousand dollars, you can put into one. You're good to go. And what I recommend is, unless you love the whole subject of investing, you research it all the time. That's not you, is it? No. Then. Keep it simple, and you can put your money in something known as a target retirement fund, where the money you have goes into an account based on, well, you're so young, there's no target retirement fund for as far in the future as you would likely retire, but you can take the latest year, which right now may be 2060, I think is the latest year you can put money in, and what happens is all through the years, the investment company that manages it changes the mix of investing to become more conservative the closer you get to retirement. So if you open a Roth IRA and just whatever money you put into it, put it into the 2060 fund, you don't have to worry about how to invest or anything like that. You only have to worry about putting the money in. Okay. And this is fantastic that you have the motivation and the opportunity to do this at 19. Yes, it is. Um, I think I'll have a good future, so I would like to get started on that. (laughs) Well, good for you. And if you want just a really simple cheat sheet to get yourself going, I have a simple investment guide at ClarkHoward.com that within just a few minutes you can open up a Roth, and if you're prepared to pop the 1000 in, you can go ahead and have your account open and funded today. Okay, and are there any other fees with that? No, you pay, with the choices I have, you pay no commissions at all. Every dollar you put in is a dollar that goes to work for you. 
And so it, it gives you the opportunity to know that your money is effectively working from the first minute and for decades to come for one sole purpose, and that's to make you, Hannah, financially secure. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Hello there, you. It's me, Jay Moore. You know me from the More Stories podcast. I'm a comedian, I'm an actor, and I talk to people that fascinate me, like Brandon Boyd from Incubus, super funny Jim Jeffries, Jay Leno, Charlie Sheen, Lakers owner Jeannie Buss, and a whole lot more. Download a few episodes of More Stories now. More Stories podcast every Monday. Podcast One app, iTunes, podcastone.com. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them yeah. in bad ways it was always even when I said hello he never seemed to speak back to you he was just like kept themselves to themselves and that was about it the British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican I'm Rita Foley